Before we get started, let me tell you what's happening at Business Made Simple. Some of you know that a few months ago, we launched businessmadesimple.com. It is a daily two to five minute video where I give people a business tip. What we didn't realize was that was going to explode. We've had about 50,000 plus people sign up for that in the last eight weeks. We are evolving it. You won't believe what is happening next. Business Made Simple is expanding. That was always the secret plan, but it's not a secret anymore. If you're listening to this, it's the first time I've publicly talked about it. Business Made Simple is becoming Business Made Simple University. We are going to house the courses that you need to develop yourself and grow your business. This isn't where you take one course on coding and then another one on the banjo. We are strictly going to put the courses into this platform that you and your people need to grow your company. It launches with four courses. That is mission statement and guiding principles. You can literally just watch this course with your leaders and leave with your mission statement, your key characteristics, your critical actions, your story pitch, and even the theme, the premise of your company. All those are incredibly important if you want people to buy into your narrative. It's the best guiding principles package anywhere it is yours with the university. You also get a course on messaging, that is understanding the story brand framework and using it to grow your company and creating a clear message that wins. Then JJ Kula and I created a, a great course on marketing, that is how to create an actual sales funnel. What should be on your website? What should your one-liner be? What should your emails actually say? At the end of that course, we have videos in which we actually review people who have done it right. And we explain, we show you their websites, and we explain why it is that their websites are working so incredibly well. We will have an emotional intelligence track inside of Business Made Simple University, and we wanted to launch with one of the courses in that track. So we chose Ian Cron, author of The Road Back to You, who did a course for us on the Enneagram. It ended up being the best online resource for the Enneagram, I think, period. Ian goes through each of the nine types. He talks about it from a business perspective so that you and your staff can understand each other, stop arguing, stop talking over each other's heads, stop misunderstanding each other. You can get not only on the same page with your message and your mission, you can get on the same page emotionally by understanding the personalities in your workplace. These are the first four courses that we are launching. It starts October 28th, and from October 28th through November 7th, you can get it, buy one, get one free. If you have 20 people on your staff, you only need to buy 10. It is a great deal on a great new product. So make sure on October 28th, you pick up Business Made Simple University. Just go to businessmadesimple.com today and click Get Notified. Businessmadesimple.com today and click Get Notified. One last thing. Our old messaging course was $1,500. Our old marketing course was $2,000. The two new courses that we filmed, we didn't even have a price on those, but they would probably be somewhere in that range, $1,500 to $2,000. This is going to cost you $275 for all four. It is the lowest priced product we have ever created, and it is the biggest, best, most expensive product we have ever created. Why? Because we want your entire staff to enjoy this and develop themselves. Go to businessmadesimple.com today and click Get Notified businessmadesimple.com and get notified. Otherwise, you'll miss out on the buy one, get one free opportunity.
Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., today on the podcast, we are talking about something that you and I are zero familiar with. Okay. We do not experience it. Okay. It is anxiety and stress. <laughs> <laughs> you caused me anxiety and stress with that intro. <laughs> Rebecca Lyons is our guest today, and she beautifully tells stories from her life of panic attacks on airplanes, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, not being able to find her kid at a parade, yeah. these kinds of things that uh, that were going to drive her crazy if she didn't come up with some sort of methodology for dealing with it. And, you know, here's the reality. It's a very tender, you and I are joking, yeah, yeah. it is a very tender conversation, maybe one of the most vulnerable we've ever had on the podcast. We're just in an age where people are stressed out of their gourds. Mm-hmm. This is a, I think it's a mental health epidemic. Yeah. I'm talking about just stress and anxiety yeah. in our culture, and we've got to do something about it. And JJ, I think we're long overdue covering it on the podcast. JJ and I joke, it's something we talk about a lot. Yeah. Who's hurting? Who's stressed? What can we do? Especially you coming from Enneagram 2. You kind of got a radar for that stuff. Yeah. And what's wonderful is the conversation is really coming to the surface in society right now. Like yeah. a lot of people are talking about mental health. And unfortunately, we're talking about it because of some extreme cases that have been happening, right, right. even in our own life. But in, in, in the media, we see all the time about these extreme cases. And so a lot of people think that if you actually need mental health help, it's because you're going to those extremes. And yet the reality is the majority of us are living with low-level anxiety and stress or high-level anxiety and stress every day, and we're just coping. We're just getting by. Right. And we get by sometimes by numbing, which isn't always bad, you know, to like have a good time out with friends and, you know, to have some good food and good wine and things like that. But ultimately... There needs to be a movement forward, I think, for a lot of us out of this constant state of anxiety and stress. We we really were meant to live life in abundance yeah. and live life with a lot of joy. And I think a lot of us have shortchanged ourselves because of that. And that's not a blaming thing, right? Yeah. Like this is I'm owning this and that I just there's something that's going on in our society, in our world that has raised the stress level and anxiety. And to be able to actually have from Rebecca, some just some very tangible, real things that people can start thinking about and talking about and ultimately and maybe do. even doing. Yeah, that's what that it's, it's can, so, we can it's so move pragmatic. Forward. It's a gift to me to be able to be in an environment where those kind of conversations can happen. Yeah. And I hope that this is a gift to our listeners, that they too can go, hey, it, it's okay to talk about these things. It's okay to acknowledge. There's a lot of people out there who are feeling the exact same way. And let's leak arms and do something about it. I love it. Well, I mean, you know, the idea here is that we've got to take care of ourselves. And we all know that. Mm-hmm. But how? Yeah. And so this is a great first conversation that talks about how. Her name is Rebecca Lyons. She is an old friend of mine. Her book is Rhythms of Renewal. It is a long conversation, but I think it's really, really meaningful. And I, I recommend you listen to it and maybe even share it with your staff. So here is a, a guide for this conversation, yeah. a wonderful guide. My conversation with Rebecca Lyons. Rebecca, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Beautiful book, Rhythms of Renewal. It's been a journey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, really the book is about stress and anxiety. Right. And how to stop it. (laughs) Yeah, what to do next. (laughs) How to, I almost said how to attack it, which says a lot about my... Yeah, Yeah, just punch it in the (laughs) face. (laughs) How to strangle stress and anxiety. And then be full of peace and purpose on the other side, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What's your Enneagram type? 
four. You're a four? Yeah. And you have a three wing? Yep. Oh, I'm a three with a four wing. Okay. Threes, supposedly, according to our friend Ian Cron, they mask their anxieties. Mm-hmm. And if you would have asked me, before Ian taught me that, if you would have asked me a year ago, do you get anxious? I would say no. No fear, no anxiety. I just don't feel just it. steady Eddie. Yeah. And then inside, there's like it's a, low, actually happening. a low hum that doesn't stop. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. And now I can feel it. I mean, if I mm-hmm. stop and go, okay, what's going on? Mm-hmm. I go, and then I have to say, okay, is there anything that I, I'm, oh yeah, I'm probably anxious about, I'm worried about this. Right. But yeah. threes, because you've got a three wings, so you can probably live into this. You can, oh, yeah. you can escape it. Yeah. Well, let's get into anxiety later. Sure. But I want, I want to know what happens if you don't deal with it. Oh, well, it becomes a physical expression. So 78% of our culture now has physical symptoms of stress, and that's when stress becomes... What are physical symptoms of stress? So shortness of breath, you can't get a deep breath, you have racing thoughts, your sleepless nights. And Is then, that stress-related? Yeah. It yeah. Be, I think that there's a continuum, right, from stress all the way to panic disorder, and you you can fall somewhere in there just based on maybe the season you're in, the circumstances you're walking through. What does panic disorder look like? Well, that's I developed. You had that on an airplane. Yes, it began on an book. airplane. Yes, and it started in 2010, lasted for over a year, and that's irrationally. Your body is so rebelling. Wait, you had that physical symptom for a year. Yeah, it was born out of claustrophobia, and I didn't know that. I was you just, were on an airplane, and you were—that's yeah. when you discovered the very first time. And I, it was this—not we hit crazy turbulence. It was right. like almost midnight from Atlanta back to LaGuardia in New York, and it wasn't like I'm scared of the turbulence that we will crash. It was I'm scared that when this thing stops, I'm in the back, like towards the back of the plane, and I will will not be able to escape. It was this uh, idea of, yeah. it's different for everybody. Like whatever triggers that. But for me, um, I've learned now since that even claustrophobia, the only way to combat it is exposure. Bravery is moving scared. You have to keep stepping into the thing that, you know. So you have to go. Yeah. I'll, to, I'm like in claustrophobics have to go sit in small spaces. Yeah, basically. <laughs> sounds like torture. It, it is. It is. It's, it's solitary confinement. No, I'm kidding. But like what began that day was on, then continued on planes, trains, elevators, subways, and crowds. And we had just moved to Manhattan for and months that, prior. It, you were full on an adult woman at this time. And that oh, had not on. previously with, happened with offspring looking (laughs) with three of them you know in elementary school looking at mom like why is she like having a breakdown on the curb like because we were i will never forget the macy's day parade gabe had gone early three hours early he camped out and then by the time i got there because you had to get there at 6 a.m even though it started at nine so then it's a block deep of people like a wall of people by the time i get there at 9 a.m and you've got the kids with you i've got the kids especially my oldest Cade, who's largely nonverbal with people who don't understand him he has down syndrome and so i'm just panicking thinking like if i lose Cade, i'll never find him and i actually can't forge through this wall of people and so i just sit on the curb and start crying and and gabe has to come get the younger two while Cade and i take a cab back to our apartment and i'm basing a turkey watching it on tv and that was the reality of like the old rebecca was a firstborn type a overachiever yeah because i've always known you as a driven ceo type woman that's how i i would just that's how you operate yeah and then and then all of a sudden panic disorder was just this rude awakening to go oh you're not you're not as strong as you thought you were and i do think it you get to the end yourself in a lot of different areas of life or seasons of life because something new is about to break but i i think for me for that season in particular, 
I had to kind of let go of my control of things and which is still masking fear and control is, masks fear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Because when you're the most afraid of something, you try, you just, sure. you double down, sure. you lock down your like, survival yeah. technique, right? Yeah. So even fight or flight is manifested in panic, right? Cause you're like, if I don't escape, I'll die. That's what you're thinking. So you're flight. But then sometimes, you know, if you're in conflict with someone, you just want to fight and then you want to like leave the room. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of one extreme or the other. Threes go to nine under stress. So they, they actually, it's not that they flee a fight. They just try to internalize peace. Yeah. You know, whatever. You're an adult. You've suddenly started having these sort of panic attacks slash these sorts of things. Did you have to do some soul searching of things that happened in your past and figure mm-hmm. out where this is coming from? I'm curious about this because I have multiple friends who really didn't realize they'd experienced trauma yeah. until their life finally got settled. Right. They got the promotion. They got the job they want. They married the girl they want. I have one friend who was basically poised to take on this job for 20 years, grew, and then once he did, fell apart. Yeah. And some people would say, yeah, their bodies are literally saying, okay, we're in a place where we can deal with this now. Right. It's not that these awful things are happening to you. It's the opposite. Right. It's, it's almost like the adrenaline and the drive, I think. You're trying to compensate for a pain, but you're able to mask it because the drive is stronger. And and the lie is that when I achieve this or when I achieve that, everything will be fine. Everything And the four is the idealist, right? So right. when I get to this perfect utopia that I've created in my mind, which actually doesn't exist, but I'm going to keep achieving till I get there, then I will be at peace and I'll be happy and I won't overreact with people. (laughs) And then you realize, oh, that's actually not true. And for me, I think for a lot of people, we are drivers and we are high achievers, but eventually our body says, I'm done and rebels against. In fact, I went to doctors in that season. I was like, are you sure I'm not having like a heart something? Because it would feel like that. Like the, The thing with panic attacks is it's your body's responding as if you're being held at gunpoint. So there's no rational, yet you, your mind knows that's not true, but you begin to be more afraid of how your body's going to act out than you are even of the circumstances. So you're, you're just, afraid you're going to have a heart attack. You're yeah, afraid that yeah, the, you're afraid the thing of yourself. it feels like is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, you're afraid of yourself. And so you're trying to avoid any situation where you see that kind of terror start to take over. Now, that's more extreme, and I know that. So I think the average person, though, they just carry chronic stress because they've overscheduled and they always are so driven because that's what propels them. It does yeah. often come from a place of pain, but it's it's a good thing. Like, you know, your pain becomes purpose. And I think for a lot of people who are high achievers, they do have a story that they've had to work through. And yeah. sometimes they've healed through it and sometimes they're Oh, there's no question. Barreling I mean, every, through everybody it. who's achieved phenomenal things has had to go through this. I remember mm-hmm. reading, did you read uh, Meacham's book on George H.W. Bush? No. Really beautiful book. Wow. I mean, he's a stunning writer. I love but, Meacham. I yeah, read yeah, that yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's amazing. Nashville guy. H.W. had panic attacks when he ran a company. Wow. He had what he thought was uh, a panic attack and almost a heart attack in Saudi Arabia because his oil company was not doing well. Yeah. And, you you know, you're reading this about somebody who would be a future president. You're just going, right. okay, all right, yeah. so you got to go through these things. Well, and it depends really what the triggers are for panic. I have a lot of friends who've had different versions of this, and they're like, I didn't know what to call it. I thought I was having a heart attack or I couldn't get a deep breath or I almost passed out while I was driving. I mean, you'll get all these different circumstances, but in general, it's just your body is can no longer contain. This is what the doctor told me. He said, your body can actually no longer mask or contain the emotional unrest that's happening inside. And so it's almost like your brain keeps telling your body to obey, 
But for us, it was like New York became the pressure cooker where we carried chronic trauma. I mean, as parents, like we had Cade when I was 26 and six hours later, and it was a failure to thrive emergency C-section. I found that 39 weeks, he was only four and a half pounds. So he stopped growing the last trimester, had no fluid. His heart rate was in the 60s. And the doctor just looked at me and said, you're having this baby today. And then they wheel me in real quick and they give me an epidural, try to cut me open, but I could still feel them tapping on my stomach. Then they give me another epidural. It goes up in my head and I'm paralyzed, feeling paralyzed, going, I'm dying. Like I couldn't breathe at that point. And the doctor said, if you stop breathing, we can breathe for you. And I'm thinking, what is happening? Right? Like I'm trying to give birth right now and I'm fighting for my life and for his. And there is some PTSD there, I think, from the smothering of that. And but then with Kate, he had that's small- that's. I mean, you know, let's not glaze past that. The the body, you know, from what I understand about trauma, and again, I'm no expert, but being friends with Miles Adcox and all the people at it on site, when you're seven years old, you could see a Scooby Doo cartoon that actually gives you significant trauma. So let's, sure. not, let's not pretend like you got to go to Vietnam. No, you, you, And so what, what you're talking about is you almost dying, like a physical your child trauma. almost dying. You being completely out of control, yeah. that's up there with war story sort of stuff in terms of what yeah. it can do to you, Yeah. right? And yeah. so do you think that was a part of... I do when... So the panic for me began in... Like it was triggered by an elevator being too crowded or a subway. I would try to jump back off. If Like if two people were in there, it was fine. But if it was like 10 and we were like this, no personal space. Right. And New York was famous for that, right? Yeah, Nobody it's, it's has personal city. space. Yeah. 8 million people in 11 miles. So I'd come from the suburbs of Atlanta where we had a garage and we had a driveway and a, a, small, a small yard and some peaches. <laughs> and then we get to Manhattan and like I think it was the pressure cooker that took me maybe that first decade of being Kate's mom and that just pushed it to the surface because he was in the ER a lot. He would run off a lot. He like, he never thought he was lost. He thought he was exploring, but mm. the rest of us were freaking out trying to find him. He was dancing in the back. This was of, as a three-year-old, four-year-old, oh, yeah, five-year-old. Three, four, five. I, I, he was dancing in the back of Hollister like one time when I was at the mall with the other two kids and mall security had to find him. And then mm. I remember the first week we were in Manhattan, we were in Central Park and Hexer Playground, the biggest one on the Southwest corner. And he runs off to play. And I had to get a whole like classroom from Boston College to help me find him in the park. Because you could not find him. No, you did not know where he no. was. No. And we had just arrived was in the city. He, was he sly like that where he would oh, wait he until you turn your head? He thought it was hilarious. Yeah. He was never aware that he was missing. And one of the last times, honestly, we were there in New York almost five years. Gabe was with the kids and I was at JFK about to fly out. And he had gone across two streets again Cross two streets in at, Queens. At the no, no, no. I was at JFK. Oh, you gotcha. Gabe's with the kids at like a party that it was like a Halloween party that was ending in Queens. And he was looking for a Coke. And he crossed two streets and walked out of a bar carrying a Coke. And by this time, like 30 people, police, NYPD, trying everyone's trying to find him. So I think. Well, it's not just those few experiences, it's every second could be the next one. Yeah. That's where yeah. the stress comes in. Yeah. So I know that that's extreme, but I do think for a lot of us, we, as we know now, you know, if 78% of us or almost four out of five of us today um, are experiencing some chronic physical symptoms of stress, it means we are all living in such a way that we're kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop. Yeah. There's just a pervasion of why are we culturally or societally this anxious in general? It's, I, I do believe like for me, this began nine years ago, but I, I see now it's more mainstream. Like mm-hmm. I, I may have had some reasons for it that I could justify in my mind, but I think 
it's spreading. I think there's a chaotic culture that we live in and we're trying internally to make sense of it and our bodies aren't sure how to do that. Yeah. And our bodies are really the dashboard that are saying something's not right. Oh, yeah. For sure. You read The Body Keeps the Score? Yes. I'm in book? the middle. I'm reading Aria? it now. Oh, yeah. Great everyone, book. everyone suggests that book to me. <laughs> oh, but it's really true. It is. I mean, it's really true. You know Kirsten Powers? Mm-hmm. Actually, I think you guys yeah. introduced us. Yeah. She was just at the house for a week. Kirsten's on CNN. Yeah. And so she, but every morning she writes on a piece of paper or like just random thoughts, like whatever's mm-hmm. in her brain, whatever's going on. And then she takes the piece of paper and she rips it up. Wow. And she says, this isn't true for her. But the people who recommended it to her said that it's a family that does this. And mm. I don't know friends of Kirsten's. They do this every morning. If they stop doing it, old aches and pains return. Wow. No, I started... Do you um, believe that? I do. I do. I think there's something think really weird. powerful. I'm willing to believe well, it. Well, I, I mean, I don't rip the paper up, but Julie Cameron, Artist Way, right? She yeah. started Morning Pages. And she yeah. said those first 40 minutes after you wake, your natural ego defenses are down and you're most in tune with your subconscious. So mm-hmm. that's when it's best to write. Yep. And I started doing that in 2013 as I was walking out this healing journey because I had just come out of panic disorder the year prior and I was starting to find my voice and even starting to write more and just get engaged on mental health in general. And so I started doing that. And it changed everything for me. I still do it. It's in the book. It's in morning routine. Yeah. Like it's it's such a big deal for me to make sure that whatever and because I do think part of the crazy brain that we can't escape is that we're not actually processing we're not allowing ourselves to be still and yeah. to listen and just go, am I okay? Am, yeah. Are are we okay? You know, and to get it down. And so for me, journaling is kind of this ongoing conversation with God, like, search me, what's going on right, internally. Right. I want yeah. to make sure that I'm not the last to know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everyone else is like, it's glaring. But for me, it's the biggest blind spot that I'm like just a wrecking ball. And I do think journaling, as we know, or writing is cathartic. And yeah. so there's a very healing, you know, Julia Cameron says we're all writers, whether we know it or not. And so, yeah. Right, we're right all dying it. to communicate. Yes. And we're dying to get something out. Yeah, Yeah, be true. heard, be understood. I'm curious because I want to get into, first of all, how do we get out of this? What's a path at least toward some form sure. of, of peace, yeah. which is what your book is about. But I'm curious, how did you make friends with this body that was telling you we've gone too far or something's mm. wrong? Because I'll tend to, I was literally just having a conversation with some of the guys on staff, and we've got a guy on staff who had a, a sort of a knee replacement. I'm going to have to have knee replacements here pretty soon. Mm. And I'm just completely aggravated by it. Mm. My body is a thing that is in my way. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's not a thing that's like teaching me. Your body yeah. teaches me. Yeah. No, it is in my freaking way. <laughs> like, replace it. I don't care. Go yeah. bionic. I'm mm-hmm. in. Yeah. So how did it's you... It's saying all is not well, and you're like, no, you're darn saying, it. Yeah, it's like it's going to be well. Yeah, I can't get any work done with the buzzing that's going on in right. the, the red lights and the new nuclear disaster thing that's happened. Right. Um, but how did you, as somebody who's ambitious and somebody who's driven and somebody who wants to accomplish things and have impact, how did you, did you? You're not going to like my answer. Well, <laughs> I, but I might need to hear it, right? I, well, I, how did you make friends with your body? I had to surrender to my frailty. I'm sorry. No. Yeah, <laughs> You're like I kicking like me it. out of the room. <laughs> no, I will never forget. I will never forget the moment where I was like, okay, this is like one of those in my first book, there's a poem that kind of scratched out one night as as we were kind of ending, coming near the end of this whole horrible season. And I just said, surrender chooses you. You don't choose it. Like nobody wants it. But you get to a place at some point where you're like, if all is not well and I'm functioning, because for me it was now affecting obviously my role as a mother and a wife and a friend and 
you know, even my own confidence in who I was. I was just so confused at that point. And I think, yeah, I had to just get honest with God and go, all right, I know there's something here that I'm supposed to be quiet to, that I'm supposed to observe and listen and know that there's something more. Like I have enough faith to know like this is not the end of my story. But the problem is I'd watched my father have a, a mental breakdown when I was in high school and he was about mm. my same age when I was starting to have this. And then I have a son with an IQ in the 40s. So I'm sandwiched between a father and a son who mentally have had struggle. And so I thought, well, this is genetic. This might be my lot in life and this is my story too because that is true for so many of us. But at the same point going, if that is so, I'm going to need your grace to walk this out. And if things are going to look different, I just, I want to have, have peace with where things are right now, trusting that if there is a road that's coming out of this, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're going to guide me and that I'm not going to live in fear for the rest of my life. Because anxiety at that point was my fancy word for fear. It was just like the lens to which I made every decision or or shrunk back and just declined every decision. And so I had to surrender on some level of going, maybe the old Rebecca charged hell with a water pistol, right? (laughs) And maybe she felt great about that, but maybe she did it in her own strength or maybe she got a little proud in the middle of that. And it was a real humbling season. But also with that, I think I, I did start to land going, okay, my life's not over. It just, it needs to be surrendered. It needs to have my, maybe like a surrendered yes or an obedient yes to something I can't see yet. And I had no idea at that point that I would ever write a book or that I would ever teach content. Like I did not sign up to be anxiety girl. And here we are nine years later and I see what God has done. And I'm like, okay, I couldn't have written this story, you know, right. if I tried. I I'm curious when to go back to your dad. Your dad had a mental breakdown, is that what she said? Yeah, that's what I would call it. I, I'll never forget it. He went into a hospital for a week, a psychiatric hospital, when I was in college. But this was the year prior to my senior year. And he went to be with God a year ago, so mm. it's still tender. But How did he pass, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, he, you know, I think in the last eight years, he it was early dementia and... Mm. Um, yeah. Some would say bipolar, but it really ended with end-stage Parkinson's. It was just kind of a slow decline. Right. I did watch him walk, you know, a long road. In the front of his Bible, he wrote, my mom gave me a study Bible that he got when I was two years old, and I have it now. And inside, when you open the flap, it says he wrote in his penmanship, Depression Stoppers. And it was full of, like, these truths and kind of a guide for him as he walked, even as an adult. And I watched that in him. I watched a man who was a man of faith and a good father and worked really hard, but also watched him unravel and try to take one day at a time. Did he put forth some effort after the mental breakdown to a sort lot. of stable? A lot. So he modeled yeah. that for you he as did. well? He, well, he had volumes of journals and mm. he was on medication largely most of that season, most of that time, on and off, on some level. It felt like it always changed. You know, whatever that prescription was, was always moving, evolving. He had really good seasons, though, throughout, but I just think towards the end, just got to be too much. Yeah. 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 I mean, like it does for a lot of our So many, yeah. Rebecca, I was thinking this morning about two friends who are no longer with us. They took their lives. Yeah. And how much I love those guys. And and I was literally literally laying about this morning just thinking, I wish that one of my friends who took his life could just wake up today, yeah. rested. Yeah. And the reality is he could have. 
Mm. He just he just needed to go six weeks to a place and have a sabbatical and have somebody mm-hmm. pay for it. And mm-hmm. he could have. That could have happened. Yeah. And your dad did that. He did something like that. Yeah, he did. He did. And you know what's interesting? This is crazy, but before he went into this home the last eight years, he um, kind of had a confessional where he wrote out, like he said, I finally feel free. I feel free of maybe the demons or the torment that I can't seem to shake. And mm. I was like, wow. what? And he said, you know, I just, I had kind of had to, even though I grew up in the church, I don't think I ever really laid it out, you know, with God. And, and, and what he really said was that for the first time in my whole life, I actually just forgave everything that's ever been done against me mm. and asked forgiveness for anything that I've ever done. Mm. And he's like, and it, it was long. It was a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole lifetime, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think forgiveness really is a gateway to healing for so many of us. Mm-hmm. We don't realize how crippling resentment or bitterness can become, how it can become literally a tumor. Yeah. <laughs> it can yeah. become something physically our bodies can't even hold on to. And I was just moved by that and inspired in some ways to kind of go like, I want to make sure whatever days I have left that that I'm not withholding something you know, God, I remember a couple of years ago, God woke me from a dream and just said, you don't have a right to withhold forgiveness from this person. Mm. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember like going out um, in the middle of the night and just, again, scratching it out in my journal, three pages of kind of repentance or confession or just like, oh, because I really felt the weight of it kind of yeah. want to come out of my body. Like physically, yeah. I yeah. felt like you're harboring something you weren't made to carry. And, and so when I did that, um, I was like, well, crap, now I have to call this person, you know? <laughs> it's a lot better just to get it out with your journal. But yeah. finally, I, I I was compelled to actually go to that person and go, you know, I'm sorry for the way my pain splashed out onto you and I had I needed someone to blame. Yeah. And yeah. the That's healing of that, of the healing from that, I think these are all small steps, but I think a lot of times we're anxious or we're f- afraid or we're stressed or we're discouraged, depressed, right? Right. Suicidal thoughts, whatever those things are, I wonder how much of that really stems even from some unrest deep, deep down of like being okay with who we are and the people around us or that we've been in relationship with. And those are hard, those are hard questions to answer. Well, let's talk about a process that you, that worked for you Yeah. and that you've uh, been kind enough to write down in a book. What a gift that you're a three with a four wing. Because the four wrote this, right? The, yeah, four, the four. Actually, four is actually sitting down. I always joke because I'm a three with a four wing, but my four wing was... So, I mean, when, when we met, I was like four wing crazy. Oh, yeah. And now the four wing is like dead. Well, but, it's so funny. <laughs> it is and, very different. And Boss Camp and I joke because she. I always say, I'm a four, but you are way more you're of way, a four. You're more of a four. <laughs> I used to joke that uh, like during the Blue Like Jazz days, my four would be like, oh, I have so much pain. I feel so sorry for myself. And my three would be like, yeah, but we can make money off that. (laughs) You know what? That's kind of, that's the, that's the neurosis of that combo. I think it's like, we can exploit this. (laughs) And the four's like, don't explore me. Three's like, no, do what I say. It's very much a conversation inside our own heads. We are. We are the same person because you're like, all this pain's got to be worth something. What's the financial remuneration? (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get to the cha-ching part. Yeah. How do we get out of this? Oh, my um, goodness. You talk about rhythms of rest. You talk about restoring rhythms. You talk about you know, rhythms of connecting uh, and rhythms of creating in the book. And you've got like, what's great about it is some very practical advice. Right. I mean, you know, it's not just ethereal. Right. It's practical stuff. And so 
rest to me, I was actually convinced years ago by Pete Richardson, who you know. Oh, yeah. Um, you guys may have set me up with him, too. Well, you never know. I talk about him in the first chapter, take oh, inventory you? of your life. Well, yeah. okay, so so I got to go with Pete, and Pete basically said, Don, how do you rest? I'm like, I don't understand the question. You're like, what is rest? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was just like, what brings you back? And it was, And I was embarrassed. It was like, I like to go for walks with my dog. I go to movies, you know. That kind of thing. He's like, okay, I want you to schedule these things yeah. in. Don't be embarrassed. 10, Those are awesome things. It was 10 years ago. Yeah. And now it's it's just an absolute part of my life. Cadence. It's Yeah. It's just an absolute part of my life. Like I'll feel it coming. I'll go, you need to go to a movie. or you need, And if I don't, it's bad news. Yeah. I mean, you Well, know. walking your dog. I mean, yeah. I, I walked this morning at 6.15. <laughs> walking, take a walk. I do a whole chapter on walking, what it does for you, how it unblocks your creativity, how it raises your sor- serotonin level. Even Best just five ideas even, come yes. when you're not, when you're trying. I even got a treadmill desk. Have you tried that? <laughs> I haven't yet, but I've seen I them. tried writing this book. I wanted one. I got there for a little while, but then I started to feel nauseous because apparently the, the <laughs> speed was too high. So, you know, I that's a little warning for people who get motion sickness. Don't stare at a laptop while you're walking too fast because yeah. that, that won't end well. But yeah, walking is a huge one. But yeah. Okay. Well, wh- did you start with rest intentionally? I did. So, because somebody's going to, they're going to pick up this book like medicine. They're going to go, Becca's got a book. I'm anxious. They're going to pick it up. And you literally decide to say, or are you saying first thing, let's get some first rest? First thing, rest. Okay. I'm sorry. Again, it's <laughs> no, like no, no, surrender don't, don't and rest. No, yeah. no. The reason why rest is the foundation is because you can't give what you haven't received. And so many of us are killing it in the connect and create, right? We're mm-hmm. just industry. We're in corporate and business and we love people and we're output, 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 right. output. And then we burn out. We literally burn out. And we, we see th- it over and we over. We feel and over. isolated and alone. I mean, even just reading the first chapter of Sleep Revolution, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. that actually is a real disorder. I mean, people, their lives are being shortened by this because they just, you're like, what is that internal thing that makes me work so hard and not feel permission to rest? Right. And so I think if you can't rest, we're restless because we rest less, right? Hmm. We're always restless because we don't even know how. And so I take people back to the basics of like, hey, God even himself isn't optional about rest. You know, he's like, there's this thing called a Sabbath and scheduled it in. Yeah. Just make (laughs) he's like, if I'm God and I rest, then maybe you should take note of that. And he blessed the same day he rests. And I think rest precedes blessing. And I've seen that. I've seen that we run fueled by a posture of rest, not running to earn rest. And when we kind of switch our week up, like instead of saying, I'm going to kill it till Friday, and then I get to just finally let down. But instead of saying, like, oh, well, maybe my week starts Sunday, and I'm just going to chill. I'm going to, like, just be filled up with the things that restore my soul, that make my heart sing, walk my dog, go to a movie, read the best books that inspire me, not exhaust my brain, but just inspire me. Be Have a long dinner with the people that, you know, know you well and just – Remind you how awesome you are. Like that's what rest is. So the right. rhythm of rest is everything like a morning routine, getting outside in nature. Gabe and I walk most mornings if we can at six fifteen in the morning because we're getting three rhythms in one. Where you rest- take any of the kids with you? No, just you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you bring no. a dog? Yeah, we do sometimes. Yeah. Yes, they get yappy and loud early in the morning. We're <laughs> trying to not like wake everyone. But part of it is that I think. That, Here's what's cool. Okay, so the sunrise has natural blue light to wake you up, and the sunset has natural red light, which is melatonin for your body. You are kidding. It triggers I melatonin. I am not kidding. I didn't know that. And That's why if, if I sometimes I'll take melatonin when I'm adrenaline's running too high. 
it probably happens like twice a year, but I don't like it because I wake up groggy. Right. And so the, the only way is you, I just have to walk out in the backyard and stare at the sun. Exactly. <laughs> That's what like, I, I, I'm serious. That. Like if you Coffee put work. your phone down at night and just go out and take a, a sunset, like look at the sunset, you're going to actually call, like your body was made with creation to actually respond to each other. Like yeah. you're going to slow down, you're going to let down. And you're gonna sleep better. That's why the circadian rhythm is so messed up now because we don't have day or night. We don't. When you get out of the bounds of rhythm, you start to live in a way your you body can't be sustained. You've been to Jerusalem a bunch of times. I've, mm-hmm. I've go over anymore often on business. And what I've noticed, I've, I'm fascinated by Israeli culture, specifically in nation building. Yeah. The most successful experiment in the history of the world in terms of mm-hmm. building a nation. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. They shut down. They do. They shut down for do. a full day and a half of the. Of the week. They do. And so, even, I mean, not like they don't turn on the TV. They don't. I know. You have a big meal with your family. You yeah. praise your wife. You do, you yeah. know, you do the whole thing. And I talk about that in the last chapter of rest is Sabbath, like stop the work already. I mean, and how they take it so seriously. Like it's, no, it's, it's no, it they is fly not home. optional. They fly home to be there. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my Jewish friends will fly home to be there. Yeah. They and Chick-fil-A have something in common. They Man, do. They explode while they do. Their- well, and I even <laughs> studied a book on rest a year ago. I'll give you the, um, the author's name later. But he was just going over the last three centuries of scientists, uh, writers, presidents, just people who have done volumes and volumes of work in their life and how their most creative moments were in the morning yeah. t- till about 11 a.m. Then they would eat. Then they would take a nap. <laughs> And then they would do correspondence. They would like do walks and stuff in the morning. And then they would do correspondence in the afternoon from three to five, which I guess is our email. But they got so much work done in their lifetime. Yeah. And rest and a nap and just creating in the morning. I do all that but the nap. I might have to add the nap. Yeah, a little power nap, 20 minutes. And then I don't eat until the work is done. You don't eat at all? Not till not till at least noon. Yeah. The 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 bulk of the work is done on an empty stomach. Yeah, same for me. And my what part of my that assistant's works. job is to make sure I eat lunch at some point. <laughs> I don't need that assistant. <laughs> <laughs> 10.30 I'm going. I know the I menu know. item at uh, yeah, the local Mexican funny. restaurant. Okay, so... So rest is your inner life, your spiritual life. Yes. I think it's all about your, are we okay? So do you recommend rest first, like people just do a season of that or... Is there some other methodology? Sure, if you haven't rested in a long time. <laughs> Get some sleep before you finish reading Yeah, this take book. a nap and then come back to the book. No, but the goal ultimately is that you would have an expression of each rhythm in every day. A yeah. weekly, a daily version, a weekly version, an annual version. And so each, you know, might be a little longer uh, as far as taking inventory or, you know, taking a retreat or something. But everyone has a morning routine, so be more intentional about what it is. And then the restore rhythm is all about eating and movement. And so you're going to hopefully... So exercise and nutrition? Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay, okay. You, you were dealing with physical anxiety. And how did you change your diet? What Did you did you feel you needed to change oh, your diet? Oh, for sure. That, for what sure. I, well, I reluctantly put my family through Whole30. I mean, <laughs> kids are still not thrilled about it. But it did change so much. I stopped having cream and sugar in my coffee after 25 years. And that was two years ago, three years ago. I cut dairy. Yeah, I cut uh, did dairy. Did you do dairy, period? Yeah. I mean, every once in a while now, it's like like it's got to be really cheese good cheese, yeah, like yeah. really, really good cheese. And I'll, I'll be okay. It's because I don't really have an aversion, but I do think it just energy. For me, it was all about energy level and gluten and dairy and sugar were those things right. that were, or even sometimes my, my anxiety was worse, obviously, when I was drinking so much coffee. Let's be honest. I didn't, yeah, even, I, when I I didn't even clue caffeine, into that. I yeah. cut out most caffeine, yeah. usually all caffeine and man, yeah. unbelievable difference. Right. But you, you're supposed to start your day with like a whole glass of water and most people, because it like 
you're already dehydrated when you wake up. And mm. if you do a little fresh lemon in it, it's a detox. A little salt. Put a little salt in it. I haven't done salt. Yeah, just put a little I sea salt. A little pinch of it. Okay, I'm going to try it. <laughs> salt, lemon, you name it. It's going to be like a roasted chicken before I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> or just eat the chicken. Everybody's different. I don't like giving diet sure. advice or whatever. Sure. But man, the, the whole gluten, dairy, you know, sugar thing, it's just been a prescription for so many right. people I know to Well, cut in general, out. a lot of those foods are inflammatory. And so you're trying to just rid your body of that so you have more energy, ultimately. S- speaking of your body, did you ever look into any sort of like, are my hormones okay? Or did you get blood tested and all that kind of stuff? I did not. Yeah. I did not. I know that's been I'm the case for other people. Yeah. yeah. I do think that is the case for some people. Thyroid can kind of get out of whack or yeah. there might be just some supplements. I do take supplements now. I take all kinds of, you know. Vitamin think, D. Yeah. All those things. <laughs> especially so in the winter. Food. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Also, you talk about the importance of play. Yes. And, and I know you appreciate that. <laughs> I know our friend Bob appreciates <laughs> yeah, that. Bob, that's all the Bob does. Bob reminds plays, us all he to plays play. And changes the world. Yes. What does play look like for you and how do you prescribe it? Well, play for me is for sure outdoors, uh, hiking, kayaking, anything that just big. You're a kayaker? Big nature. Yes. Do I you lo- kayak around here? Well, you know what? We went to um, Yellowstone oh, a couple gosh, years yeah. ago and I saw people with like an inflatable kayak. Yes. And I was like, Gabe, I'm ordering that today on Amazon, you know, because you yeah. can travel the world with it. Turns out you have to check it and it's kind of cumbersome. But yeah, I love just, now, I'm not like a thrill person, but I just like, big nature. There is something about being on water. Yeah. Especially in a kayak. Yeah. Because you are sitting on the water. Right. I mean, you know, it's right. really, it really right. just, I used to do that at least every week in Portland and I haven't yeah. picked it back up here. Well, I it's harder in Nashville. Rivers. I know. Yeah. I had a harder time here, but I grew up in Florida and I could ride my bike to the Gulf, like in St. Petersburg. Yeah. And so I, w- I just grew up near water. And, and even in New York, I had to have a glimpse of the, the Hudson from the corner of our apartment down in Tribeca because I was like, I, I need to see a, a slice of water. And so I would always go out. And that's when my anxiety started to get better. We never really got to that point. You're like, is she still having panic? No. <laughs> no, like, we're, we're working out of it now. Yeah. The last half of that time in Manhattan, we moved downtown. And the, that was a huge part of my rhythm where I started running the river walk in the morning and mm-hmm. sunrise and sunset. I was just outside a lot more, even if it was cold, because um, I had had seasonal, you know, how you have seasonal affective yeah. disorder when you're just in a long winter. And I found I had that in Atlanta, which was weird because I was like, it's not as cold as New York, but it was because I was going from my kitchen to my garage, to my car. And I never was actually walking outside yeah. and getting more active. And then when I go to Manhattan, I realized I'm walking to the gym in 11 degree temps with the right coat. That's the caveat. And I didn't struggle that winter. That was the first winter that I didn't have depression in January. And I think part of it was just, I was just getting outside. I was moving a lot. Even if the snow dumped, it was clearing the air. I was clearing the smog for the next day or two. And I just felt like, oh, I'm stronger than I think. You know, that's a good thing. And that was as I was starting to walk this healing journey out. Yeah. Every chapter in the book has science. And, you know, because I think science and faith complement each other. I don't, one doesn't negate the other. And so, so many studies that I reference that the serotonin levels of walking or embrace and a hug or all those things are doing, you know, what some medications are doing. You know, it's like, oh, scientifically, this is what's happening in your body chemically when you do these things. Yeah. So it's good to know that and why you feel better when you're done working out. Okay. You talk about rest and then exercise, nutrition, restore, and then you talk about connecting. Yeah. With others. How important is it that we're connected? Yeah. So those first two, rest and restore, are, are spiritual and physical health. And then the last two are the output rhythms. That's um, relational and vocational health. So connect. 
I think is real important next. Like if you if you feel rested and you're okay, um, and then you feel like you've got energy to start your day, then who are you going to do that with, right? I think they build each rhythm builds on each other. So your collaborative work. I mean, I can tell here. I mean, like you're you guys are exploding and busting at the seams here with your team. And how much fun is it to do what you love with the people you love? Yeah, it's and worthless without it. It is. It's, well, it's, it's just no fun. Well, it's very lonely, and then yeah. it's not going to last if it's not fun and it's lonely. I mean, I don't see that being a flourishing enterprise. So, connect for me. I really talk a lot here about friendship, vulnerability, and uh, forgiveness. I talk about you know conflict resolution, marriage, parenting, all the things that are anything to do with any kind of relationship. You and Gabe are impactful people. You do a lot of things, often a little public light kind of stuff, and you're and yet you're a vulnerable person in your books. How did you decide or what are your parameters? I'm sure you don't air all your dirty laundry. What what are your parameters on who you'll be vulnerable with and then how is that connected to mental health for you? Sure. Well, I've always been a chronic oversharer, Don. <laughs> you and me both. Gabe just married me and he had to deal with it. Yeah. Like I'll never forget when we were newlyweds, we'd be like driving a small group and then he's like, What can you please not say these four things? Because I know they'll come out of your mouth within the first two minutes. And I'm like, I can't promise anything, Gabe. <laughs> Um, and he even jokes me now. He's like, I read your books to see what you put in there that I need to, you know, edit out. But then ultimately I'm like, just go ahead, whatever. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. yeah. You be you. But I do think, um, obviously there's discernment, you know, on, I think on the mental health piece, it's actually been really liberating to talk about it because a lot of people have been strengthened to know they're not alone. And I also want to communicate, I haven't arrived. I think a part of keeping this at bay is rhythms. I don't ever want to not live in rhythm. I don't want to ever not being resting, restoring, connecting, or creating because those are the guardrails, actually, the framework for which I'm now living a life of health. For the most part, there'll be relapse temptations or little triggers here and there, but I can essentially say that nine years into this, I'm excited to get up in the morning. And yeah, I and so and good. and like we know Viktor Frankl talks so much about like our meaning is to help other people find theirs. Mm-hmm. And there's um, with this freedom comes responsibility. And so I I kind of really count it an honor to talk about it because I want to offer hope because I found hope. You know, right. and I think we're all looking to somebody else to remind us that we're not alone in our struggle and that this isn't the end of our story. In terms of connecting with others, what are the sort of friends that you cherish, look for, that you find healthy? What are, what are some characteristics of those people and, and how do you try to be that yourself? Yeah, I think positivity is huge, right? You know, like you might have something hard come against you, but in general, your outlook in life is like, this is part of growth. This is part of maturity. And then, but also honesty with pain. Like we certainly can't skim over things and be like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know, I connect best with people who are willing to go there with me and to acknowledge what might be hard, but what are you learning in it? Right. What is it teaching you and how's that making you a better human? (laughs) Right. Making you more human actually. And humility, as we both know, is like a huge thing. It's a huge thing. It's everything, I think. All right. And creativity, this is uh, where this book came out of, I'm sure. You're it practicing is. some creativity. Is the, Do you specifically mean creativity in the sense that you're getting a chance to express yourself? Yeah. I think in all kinds of ways. I like just everyday ways, right? Like working with your hands, you know, learn something new, take a class. Because yeah. you, can, you can love everything you're doing professionally, but still go like, but I really love this one thing over here as a kid. I could never stop doing it. So yes. I'm all about like find your eight-year-old self again. And ah, Betsy's done a good job. That she's taking painting classes and it, yeah. it's really fun to see. It awakens something. It does. Because 
I was called Becca Book as a kid. We didn't have a TV till I was in middle school. And I read. Because you just read and read and read? Yeah. 62 Nancy Drew books just in fourth grade. And <laughs> I. You know they're doing Nancy Drew books for adults now. I did not know. No, no, no. That. It's a different one. It's like a high school thing that all the girls are reading in high school. And now they have the adult. Sweet Valley High. Yes. <laughs> no. That exists. Those Stop characters it. as adults. Stop it. I promise you I heard it in NPR the other day. I'll, fi- I'll oh, find you. Oh, my goodness. You, I got to find it. I'll send you a box. You'll, you'll lose oh, a month of your life. God. For sure. It's like <laughs> anyway. binge reading. Going back to binge reading, not binge watching. Because I was for sure a binge reader. And I never thought I would be a writer. But as a kid, I just... I did what I loved. I think so how many... How did you express yourself as a kid? You read, but how did you express yourself? I was a goofball. Like, I was kind of... Were you like drama club? Oh, music, music, music. Oh, music. Yeah, I started playing play? trumpet in I love it. I was a tuba grade. player. Were you? Yeah. See? I... Trumpet girls were awesome because they weren't... Because all the girls were playing the flute. And... Yeah, I wanted to. I was like, mom, flute or clarinet? It's fourth grade. Nah, and no, she no, no, said, no. no, your older brother's um, renting a trumpet and then we can only afford one instrument, so you are going to play trumpet. That's why I played the tuba because it was free. Yeah. Nobody, 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 afford nobody to buy was a tuba. fighting the you. School had to pr- so my mom was like, that's your instrument. I'm like, really? So I played it for from fourth to twelfth. And then I wound up being first chair of 13 boys and then became the drum major in my junior and Come senior year. On. Yes. So Did you go I, to college on any, any sort of yes, music scholarship? I was doing, like, yes, I was Where'd doing you go? brass quintet at Liberty. Is that where you met Gabe? Yes. Were you in the band at Liberty? No. Okay. I, I did like more smaller stuff because as a high schooler, I did youth symphony and jazz and, you know, marching and symphonic and all the bands. I mean, I... I don't know. I, I didn't know you were a band nerd. Like a, I was a band nerd, too. I was such a band nerd. And I played piano from 6th to 12th. So, yeah, music for sure was my outlet. So reading was my input and music was my output. And I, I think that's what's good to know, even as adults. Like, of course, I, I'm not doing anything professionally in the music realm. But it does inspire that creativity that plays out in different areas of our lives, in different oh, seasons I, of our lives. I, I, I believe it's true, if, especially if you study as a musician and you switch to a writer. I got the itch scratched, if you will, becoming a writer that I'd always wanted as a musician. Really what I want to do is compose symphonies. Yeah. And when you actually sit and write a book, what you're doing is you're taking people on an emotional journey. There is yes. an overlap. Yes. And it does scratch the itch. It's yeah. really interesting. You just don't have to, I think you have to be a lot smarter to compose symphonies. Well, I even, I don't, I'm sure you do this in writing too, but I read what I write out loud and it has to have a cadence. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And so I'll, someone will edit it and they'll be like, no, we're going to change that last word. I'm like, sorry, doesn't land. Nope. Doesn't land. In my and then, brain. And then the grammar Nazis come and they're yeah. like, well, you didn't yeah. know. So I'm like, I'm no, like, no, sorry. Sorry, it's got to sound <laughs> like this with a beat when it comes out. Yeah, and exactly. I never really paired the two really until this third project where I was like, this really means a lot to me. Hmm. This like rhythmic, I mean, even yeah. rhythms of renewal. Like I fought for this title. People are like, people are going to think about music. I'm like, no, no, no. Rhythms is like all of life. Yeah, yeah. No, I, everything's I in rhythm. There. No, you're right. Yeah, it's fun to kind of see it go back to that. Root. Well, what can people do if they don't have a creative outlet? What do you recommend? Well, I think um, morning so, morning journaling. Is yeah, part I of that. think morning routine in in the rest rhythm is huge. But the first chapter is called take inventory. It's take inventory of your life. Like, hmm. what's and and I talk about Pete. He says answer the four questions: what's right, what's wrong, what's confused, what's missing. And when you stop long enough to kind of get that out in all areas, like. I have a, a quiz where I'll say, what's your healthiest rhythm? Because everyone has one they're dominant in. And if they're killing it in that rhythm, which is awesome, it probably means the other three are... Deficient. Yes. Yeah. And so it's not about perfect balance because it's personality driven and you are either going to be more output of a person or more input. And that's fine. But just to know that you can't do without all four. You just you need to be a little more proactive on going, okay, if, if I don't want to tend to rest or... Or I don't usually want to reflect or I don't really care what I'm eating half the time. 
it's going to catch up with you. Yeah. And your body will eventually pay the price. Your anxiety will pay the price. Your relationships will pay the price. And so get in a rhythm that allows for you to, and one thing I wanted this book to do was be super practical, approachable, free, right. free, free suggestions. It, you know, some people go to counseling. That's great. I highly recommend it. But these are things you can do every day, every day from home, you know, working with your hands, learning a new skill, you know, YouTube, whatever. <laughs> you can learn anything. You yeah. can learn anything online now. Well, I think one of the most beautiful things that the, that you offer and the book offers is just the, the idea that you need a plan mm-hmm. to manage and hopefully overcome anxiety because yeah. it's going to take you down. The goal is sustained emotional, spiritual, relational health, yeah. ultimately. You know, what's, what's beautiful about that, you know, and I joke about my body's in the way, without the dashboard lights coming on that you know, a headache or a sleepless night or whatever give you, it's it's almost like it's, I, I joke that, oh, Becca, you know the Bible so much better than I do, but the Tower of Babel, right? right? Mm-hmm. It was just this way of like stopping the mm-hmm. the perverted forward progress sure. of man. Sure. And I, I literally think kids are just God's Tower of Babel. It's like, oh, you yeah. thought you were going to yes. <laughs> succeed. It's true. We're going to shut this down right. with a two-year-old. I love it. It's an autocorrect on and some level. And your body level. does the same thing. Yeah. Your body causes you to autocorrect. Because I, I know my personal life, I will build that tower. Mm-hmm. I will. Out and, of sheer determination yeah. and grit until yeah, you exactly. fall over. <laughs> and then God's like working against you the whole time. I'm like, I'm trying to do this for you. And he's like, I'm trying to shut you down. Yeah. Anyway, the book is called Rhythms of Renewal. Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose. My old friend, Rebecca Lyons. Rebecca, thanks for joining us. Will you come back with your next book? Absolutely. Thanks for uh, redeeming your own story, and then thanks for sharing a path out for the rest of us. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Again, we could just talk for hours. Yeah. She's been through so much. Yeah. It was a gift for her to share that. Yeah, and, and it was a gift for her also. You know, I said it in the interview, but the ability to process that stuff figure out a way out, and then try to help somebody else. Yeah. So much of life is wandering through the woods, but then when you find a really pretty waterfall, it's nice to turn around and say, let's actually just build a trail here (laughs) so more people can get here. And I think that's what she's done. So Rebecca, thanks so much. Before we go, I want to remind you again, Business Made Simple University launches October 28th. Go to businessmadesimple.com today and click Get Notified. You'll get all four courses that we offer for 275 bucks. And it's buy one, get one free from October 28th to November 7th. So if you're in that window, go to businessmadesimple.com right now so you don't miss out. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or Apple Music today. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. Your business.